you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Coming up on Total Access, The Locker Room. I'll never forget Tony Dungy. He looks at us and he goes, John, we can play without you. Not going to be very fun, but we can play without you. (laughs) Same thing. It's not fun at all, but we can play without you. We can't play without 99. (laughs) Welcome to NFL Total Access, The Locker Room. I'm Michael Robinson, and today I'm joined by Bucky Brooks. Buck, what's going on, big dog? Man, it's all good, Mike. Bro. I'm so excited to be on this podcast. You know, I love the locker room, and I love let's, the stories that come out of the locker room. <laughs> yeah, brother, let's get it, man. We're going to let you guys in on what players and coaches really talk about inside the locker room. Today, we're talking to Pro Football Hall of Fame, Class of 2021 Safety, and 49ers General Manager John Lynch. And guys, you guys are in for a treat. You don't want to miss the story about how uh, John Lynch and Derek Brooks – Went in on Warren Sapp a little bit. It's going to be special. Hey, that is a very special story. But, you know, how John Lynch got the job is the one that I, I can't wait for people to hear because this <laughs> is a fascinating journey to watch a former player make his way to the top of a front office. And here he is, 49ers general manager. And, and guys, uh, to me, the GOAT, when you talk about a, a player going to the executive side, Hall of Famer, John Lynch. John, welcome to the show today, brother. What's up, Mike? Hey, Bucky. Uh, looking forward to hanging with you guys. And and uh, I can't take that that GOAT uh, title, though. You got guys like Ozzie Newsome and, and John Elway that have, that have done yeah. pretty well at this thing. So not there yet, but I appreciate the sentiments. <laughs> yeah, brother. So look, we start every show with a, with a locker room story, okay? Again, it doesn't have to be in the locker room. It could be yeah. your executive. So just behind the scenes, none of that poo-poo stuff we do on TV. No, 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 no. We all, this is the Total Access Locker Room Podcast, man. We want to give the, the listeners something a little extra. So let's hear your first uh, podcast. I mean, let's hear your first locker room story. Yeah, so I'll, I'll give you one that, um, that, that came out here recently. And, and the reason I'm going to give it is because I always assume that Warren Sapp knew this story. And he, <laughs> he, he Brooks, and I were on something uh, on a podcast like this right before yeah. Super Bowl. And Derek and I learned that Warren had never heard it. And since then, he, he cannot forgive us that he never knew this story. So I predated uh, Warren and Derek. They were, uh, it's not a bad draft class. Uh, the 95 draft draft class, they were uh, the, both of our first round picks and it was unbelievable. Changed our franchise in Tampa, but I was there in 93. So I predated those guys. Never forget the day they got drafted. Uh, I came in in the off season happened. They were in the DB uh, room with our PR team, kind of doing some stuff on their first day in the facility. I'll never forget walking in. And uh, those guys had known each other for years, playing high school football, like all-star games and yeah, stuff. Yeah. And so I walk in the room, I was walking in to meet my DB coach and they were in there with our PR guy and Sap said, Hey Brooks, this is, that's, that's that hard ass white guy that knocks people out, man. <laughs> and, uh, I said, Hey, nice to meet you. What's up fellas. <laughs> Welcome to the club. And, uh, but it was cool. Warren looked at me and said, you ready to do this thing? Let's go. Let's change this place. Cause at the time we were the yucks. We were not, not very good. And, and, 
uh, you know, like I said, those guys were very instrumental along with Tony Dungy coming and whatnot of, of changing our program. You know, Warren and I kind of had a complicated relationship at first, <laughs> you know, Warren's tough and, and, uh, and, you know, it, you know, there's a lot of layers to it, but you know, yes, about, about year two, probably 96, um, you know, he and I got very tight. I think I earned his respect and he kind of said, all right, we can, we can roll together and, mm -hmm. and, and vice versa. And, um, you know, Warren's a lot of things, but one thing is if he's your guy, he's one of the most loyal people in the yes, world. So Brooks Sapp and I kind of became this, this trio of, of guys that hung out a lot and, uh, you know, had grand aspirations of changing the Bucks fortunes and being one of the greatest defenses ever. And those guys were such tremendous players, but there was, I think it was probably in uh, 97 uh, Warren was acting up, you know, and, and mm -hmm. Brooks and I always could kind of talk him off the ledge when he was getting like that. Well, there was this stretch of weeks where he was being, you know, a little disrespectful to coaches in the defensive room, you know, coach Dungy even one time. And, and so Brooks and I went to Warren and Hey, Hey buddy, you know, like nine, nine, we gotta, we gotta chill this out, man. You gotta get a hold of yourself, what you're doing. That's not who you are. We took with that approach and he basically <laughs> told us to pound sand, you know, get that yeah. out of his face. And, <laughs> and so like, you know, and it just, it, it kept on. And so we, we finally, we tried everything we knew. We, we went in Tony Dungy's office. Brooks and I, and this wasn't like us, but we said, Hey coach, we need you. We've tried everything. We, you know, this is an issue. Our whole team's feeling it right now. Our defense is certainly feeling it. You got to sit them. You got to do something. You got to, you, you got to sit them. You got to find them. You got to, you know, this is his best friends telling you. No like way. He, yeah. You guys asked to sit. Yeah, we did. Yeah, Are you kidding me? Because we were at our wits end. We couldn't do anything. And I'll never forget Tony Dungy taking a deep breath. He's so calm. And he looks at us and he goes, <laughs> Derek, John, I think you both are eventually hall of fame players. You guys are tremendous. And you're so important to this team. I appreciate that you're in here. Cause I know it matters to you, but here's the deal, John, we can play without you. Not going to be very fun. But we can play without you. <laughs> Derek, same thing. It's not fun at all, but we can play without you. We can't play without 99. <laughs> so, and so I suggest you guys go figure it out. And so Derek and I walked up and through with our, our head between our tails. And, and uh, you know, that was it. Like that defense, we all knew it. It started with that three technique wreaking havoc up front. And uh, that, that kind of pounded home that message that, uh, oh all right, it was, it was up. It was up to us to find a different way to get to him. And, and fortunately we were able to do that. And uh, he was back to the old Warren and, and, uh, but uh, it became very clear. And I, I appreciated Tony's candor, just, nah, we can't play without him. So figure it out. And, uh, and that's what we did, but Warren never knew that story. And we never knew that he never knew that story. And so he's, he's, oh it's killing goodness. him. It's killing him that we actually went in there. He's, you snitches. Y'all trying to sue him. Hey, it's funny. You said that though, John, because I've been a team leader most of the time when I was on teams and I remember Pete Carroll coming to me during our Super Bowl run. And I'm not going to say the player's name because he's still playing. And I'm like, coach, you want me to, you know, get him in line, but I can't restrict his playing time. I can't, right. you know what I'm saying? I, I right. need a carrot. I need something. And Pete Carroll basically said the same thing. And well, Mike, you know, you're fullback. We can just not call base. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> this guy is in on every single play, man. But um, so I know exactly where you're coming from, John. But yeah. like we started, you are unique, right? You wanted to form. You wanted to one of the few former players that's made it as a GM 
Okay. Um, I know one of our colleagues here at NFL Network, uh, D'Angelo Hall, he definitely aspires to kind of take that same track um, that, that, that you've taken. How's that? How has that transition been? I mean, I know you guys been to the Super Bowl and you had some ups and downs. And what made you want to take on that challenge? Because, you know, we do TV now, but, you know, taking on that challenge is almost at the almost like being on at the base of Kilimanjaro and looking up like, oh, my goodness, how do I even conquer that thing? You know, so what made you get into it? Yeah. You know, Mike, I think we're all a product of our life experiences. Right. And uh, let's go back to my childhood. Um, like the draft was always something that was really, I, I loved it. I loved like trying to sit back and play the analyst. Okay. Here's where they're going next. Here's where I would go. And yeah. my dad would actually pull me out of school. We never missed school. That was an old thing. Even if we were sick, we're lynches. We go to school, yeah. except on draft day, you come home and we watch the draft. Yeah. You know, it used to be during the week and, <laughs> and uh, you know, we would do that. And um, you know, so it just always kind of was a, and, and then when I'm playing, I remember on the weekends, my wife going, are you really going to, sit here and watch the sixth round you know like you, <laughs> yeah. we do this all year round and you're gonna sit here on a weekend and not you know and so i always like that um but i think the 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 biggest um inflection point probably was i was living in denver uh, after i was done playing and uh, had become close with john elway um you know actually at bucky's high school uh granada hills <laughs> that's where john went his coach ended up coaching me later a guy named jack newmeyer i was a quarterback yeah and, Jack Newmeyer came down, um, you know, my senior year to run the run and shoot down in San Diego. And so that's when I first met John. Uh, I followed him to Stanford. He was my idol. I used to walk pigeon toed around. I'm not pigeon toed, but I used <laughs> yeah. to walk pigeon toed around. Oh, I try to do it. Yeah. yeah th thinking <laughs> if I'd walk like him, I'd play like him, you know? And, and, uh, <laughs> So fast forward many years after year uh, 11 in the league, you know, I, I, as a free agent, I go to, to Denver and, um, you know, play for Mike Shanahan and, and John was the first guy to, to welcome me to town. You know, he was, we had the Stanford connection. We both played football, baseball at Stanford, the uh, Jack Newmeyer, the coach connection. And John just said, Hey, you know, Johnny, um, welcome to Denver. Anything you need, you know, let me be a resource for you where to live. Um, all that we became golfing buddies after I stopped playing. And so we were hanging a lot around a lot and he took the dive into, uh, running the, the Broncos and he, he had been involved with arena football, but you know, year one, he said, Hey, I'm jumping in and I would love for you just to have another set of eyes. Why don't you write up the safeties this year? And he gave me some mm -hmm. equipment and I just did a write up on the, on the safeties. And I really dove into it. And, uh, John was impressed. He said, man, this is, this is good stuff, man. You, you put a lot into it. And I appreciate it. Uh, the next year, you know, he said, let's take the next step, do all the DBs. So I did safeties and corners. And the following year, he actually invited me into, um, the, you know, the draft preparation. Um, and he just, you know, I showed up one day in typical John fashion. He hadn't told anyone he was doing this. So everyone before John walked in, they're like, Hey, they, I knew them all, but, but they're like, what are you doing here? Like, this is, this is our draft room. I said, Oh, John hasn't told you, but he asked me to, you know, come in and just kind of see what it's all about. So I got to sit through the draft preparation just as a fly on the wall, never said anything unless I was asked sometimes, uh, Elway would ask me something. Sometimes uh, John Fox, you know, would say, mm -hmm. but I got to see it in action. And, um, you know, I think that probably triggered it. Wow. Someday this might be a cool thing. 
but I was at Fox and, and broadcasting and, and uh, having a great time doing it, kind of working my way up that ladder. And then, you know, one off season, you kind of, I'm sure you guys do it at, mm-hmm. at the end of the season, you kind of take inventory of your life. Where am I at? Am I happy? And I, I was, I was extremely happy. I got my football fix. We have four kids. I got to coach their teams. I got to drive my daughters to tennis and soccer but I, there was always this, but you know, I'm missing something. And I think it was that competitiveness, like having a scoreboard that actually, you know, at the end of a broadcast, instead of like pounding fists with Kevin Burkhardt, Hey, great broadcast, you know, being involved in winning something or, or conversely losing something. And, and so something compelled me that, you know, I remember starting to think like maybe if the right situation came about now, I always thought that would be in San Diego where I live before they left. Like if they ever asked, like, heck yeah, I'll do that. (laughs) Um, Or if Tampa where I played or Denver said, Hey, you know, after John, like, Hey, would, would you be interested in taking on a role? But I remember being home uh, one night when they, uh, or, or, you know what I did? I did the, uh, I did the, the Seahawks Falcons uh, playoff game, the divisional for Fox. And in that game, I, you know, I was just fascinated with Kyle Shanahan and what he was doing on the offensive side of the ball. He was the coordinator the year they made their Super Bowl run. And I said some nice things about Kyle. Like if you're an owner, they, we got all these job openings. I don't know what you're waiting for. This, this, this dude's been around it his whole life with his dad. And then offensively, I think he's running circles around the competition. Like he's thoughtful. I've sat in production meetings with him. Hire this man. I think people equated that I knew Kyle real well. I didn't because when I was playing for the Broncos, he was off at college. I knew his dad really well. And so, you know, Kyle, I think called after he said, Hey man, that was nice. I appreciate it. my family told me what you said. And I just said, Hey man, it, it, I, I meant that that was genuine. I wouldn't have said it had I not. And I said, it looks like you're, you're going to get one of these jobs. So I, I just wish you luck. I think you did a tremendous job this year. And so we didn't talk and he goes on to the championship game. And, and then, you know, you, the rumors start breaking that he's going to get the San, San Francisco job. And I remember there was one day where something compelled me. I like, I went to bed and I knew something was on my mind. I didn't even know what it was. And my wife was going, what's up with you? Something, something's going on. And I woke up the next day and I said, I know what it is. And I picked up the phone and I called Kyle and I said, Hey, it, it looks like you're going to get this Niners job. And without me having to say it, he said, yeah, man, I'm just, I'm trying to find the right guy to go at this with me. I want to find a GM that's a partner that's right there with me. And I'm I'm just not finding it. And I said, without hesitation, I said, well, what about me? And he Mm. goes, what, why would you do that? Like, you've got a great life. And I go, Hey man, uh, you go coach your game, but just know that I would be honored. Like if you, if you just want to talk about it. And so he kind of hung up the phone and the next day he called me back and he goes, now I can't sleep. I'm thinking about this. <laughs> would you really consider? Wow. And I'd said, Oh man, I, now it's getting real. Hey, uh, man. I do have a pretty good life where I have a lot of freedoms. (laughs) And he goes, let me ask you this. Would you meet with our owner? And that led to me flying up, meeting with Jed from there. They just kept me there. And they said, would you fly cross country to meet with Kyle? And I came out of that room in uh, Atlanta after meeting with Kyle for about four hours and Jed with an offer for the job. And then really having to talk to my family because you know, I just said, Hey, I'm going to talk about some things, and, you know, like, uh, but this is probably not going to happen, babe. And I'm coming back and, and, you know, going to, going to flip my whole family's life upside down. And, uh, after the weekend, my wife said, you have to do this. Cause I can't live with you if you don't, because you're <laughs> consumed with it now. And that's the story. And I'm sorry, it was long, but I'm trying no, to, trying good. to, no. trying to tell it all. So that's how it happened. Wow. You know, John, that's an amazing story. 
it's an amazing story. One, the confidence to kind of speak it into existence by um, asking Cal. But I want to ask you as a former player, because I feel strongly about this, having been in front offices and those things, how do your experiences as a former player impact and influence what you look for in players or doing the evaluation? How much of that is, hey, I want guys that could be in the huddle when I'm in the huddle. Yeah. Does that play a part at all? I think it does. And, you know, I, I think there is something um, in our league, like for instance, I have a lot of baseball friends down in, uh, in San Diego. I think their league does a better job of welcoming their players around their organizations. Now they have venues like spring training and, and whatnot mm-hmm. where they can bring, but they genuinely, I think, want to, want to hear from these guys. And I've always like, why do we push former players away? We, we should, they kind of know they did live this, you know? And so I've always felt that now, having said that in this role, Bucky, I think at times it can be extremely helpful at times. Yeah. It probably is a hindrance because you, you, you so are so convicted because because those are the guys, the personalities that you played with. And I think, um, you know, an example, and I, I don't say that anything's a mistake, but I, I had so much belief in Ruben Foster and, and my ability to get to, you yeah. know, okay, if he's got yeah. some issues, I, I can help this young man out. Mm-hmm. I, I, I can be the one. I'm not playing anymore. You know, I'm in the GM seat, you know, and I can put resources around him and all those things. But I think probably I've, I've learned some tough lessons that, yeah, you, you know, you, it's, it, that's going to be hard to have that kind of influence and have that kind of connection. Cause I'm not his teammate anymore. I'm, I'm actually in, in a different role. So those I, I think are some things. And Ruben's a fine young man went through some tough things. And, you know, I, I don't mean to, put him out there on that. But I, mm. I, you know, that's an instance where I probably, my experience feeling like, you know what, I can get to him. Ah, sometimes you can't, you know, or, or you can't make a situation better because of the dynamics involved. But I do think it's very helpful. I mean, you, you lived it, you know what it's like to be a player and the challenges asked of them and that you better have a really mentally tough person because the NFL is hard. There's nothing easy about it. That's what makes it so great in my mind. And now, John, um, I've been kind of a voice for the, the mental health char- charge that the league has kind of put forth um, through the month of May. And uh, recently there was a feature on Solomon Thomas about his sister and, you know, the issues that she had and, and, and how it affected him. And one of the things that struck me was he mentioned your name. He said, you know, um, John Lynch helped me through it just by simply asking if I was okay. Do you think the fact that you were a former player gives you a lot more credibility uh, with the, with your current players, because when you do speak, you've been through it. You know what I'm saying? They, it's different than if it was somebody, a general manager that just stayed in the front office th- their entire life and never really lived it. Do, do, do you see yourself having more credibility with the players? Yeah, I, I hope so, Mike. You know, and I, I think number one, yes, being a former player, I think gives you gives you an entree. You still have to earn their respect. It's just yeah. like I remember going to the Broncos in year 11. I had accomplished a lot in the league, but I felt like, man, I got to do this all over again. I got to yeah. show these guys who I am and you, you have to earn it. And I keep coming back to it, but that's why this league's so great. And so I had to earn that respect here. But, I, you know, I remember and I, I'm really appreciative to Kyle because, you know, that's something early on that when he talked about, as we sat in Atlanta, he said, John, like you're coming from a different background. I don't want you to hide from that. I want, 
I want you to use that as an, as an asset. So get close to the players, you know, yes, there's a line that we can't cross, but I want you to get to know these players. I want you to influence them, you know, with your experiences. And so I've always tried to do that. Solly, I knew a little better than most because I actually had been in class with him. I went back to school at Stanford to finish up and we were in a class together. We actually worked in this project together. And so I knew Solly quite well. And I knew that after that experience that, that, that just like, yes, there was going to be some grief, but then it had been some time and he, he wasn't himself. I knew him well enough to know that he wasn't himself. So simply one day in the cafeteria, I sat with them and I said, Hey man, you want to come up to my office? And, and, uh, I just said, Solly, I just want to make sure you're doing all right. You know, because we do have tremendous resources. I can be a resource if you want to talk to me, but we've got people that can help. And, and he kind of broke down and kind of accepted help that day. And, and, um, you know, I'm happy to be able to, but that was just simply trying to be observant and aware and knowing someone and saying something's not right. And so I think that's a message to everybody. If, if you're out there and you've got a sense for people and, and know people well, and something's not right, don't be afraid to say, Hey, you're doing all right. Because you never know the impact that can have on someone. You know, John, it's funny you talk about impact and I can't leave this podcast without talking about the impact that the defense that you played on in Tampa Mm -hmm. had on the rest of the national football league. You guys, basically created the Tampa two defense, even though Tony Dungy talked about the Pittsburgh Steelers or whatever, it's synonymous with that crew that you played with you, Sapp, Derek Brooks, Rondé. When you think about that experience and as you're building a championship caliber defense right now in San Francisco, how much does that impact the way that you believe a defense should be built to play championship caliber football in today's game? Yeah, well, we started this, um, this pod with the, with the story of a funny story about Warren and all that. But I think there was a strong message there and that's that it starts up front. And that's something I, I learned early on, you know, I've, I've followed going to Tampa, you know, with Denver in year 11. And, uh, we were trying to implement what we had done in Tampa. This is not to disparage any of the guys I played with in, in Denver, but I remember saying to someone after a game, like five Mississippi's a whole lot different than two and a half. You know? <laughs> My job was a lot harder. And, and so the, the, the point was it starts up front. And so that's something from day one, we tried to build here. It's why, you know, when we already had Armstead and Buckner, we went and drafted Solly that high and people can say what they want about the Solly pick. We thought, you know, he could be a great addition to, to, to what, and, but the, the point is we just kept throwing resources up front. And I think that's a, you know, and in, in, to me, you know, I remember Elway saying, you know, one of those times in that draft room, it, Ernie Accorsi, I believe had said it to him. It's an oversimplification, but you got to find that guy at the quarterback position and you got to find the guys to knock them down. And, and that, that's a pretty, pretty simple simple roadmap to success in this league and, and something I believe wholeheartedly and defensively it starts up front. But the cool thing about that defense is, you know, that the defense we have here, Robert Sala brought it and it's what Kyle wanted to, he always said playing against that gave him fits, you know, and, and, and thought presented the most challenges in part because it's simplicity. You can get really good at what you do because you don't try to do everything. But the, the great thing for me is, you know, I was taught by Tony Dungy and Monty Kiffin in that Tampa two system, but Monty and Pete Carroll go way back. Yep, and so yep. <laughs> our system and this system have a lot of parallels. So my eyes could see it. I knew the run gaps the day Salah came in here. I could say, okay, he's, he's the A, he's the B, he's the C, you know? And, and so um, even though they've kind of morphed into different directions one was the cover two uh while other was the cover three they really are the same defense and and um that that's been a cool process 
Oh, we like, I don't know if our listeners understand what you just broke down right there, man. Like that's high level for, I thought Bucky laughing at me. I love this type of stuff, man. That's high level football right there, man. You just compare two safety high to one safety high, uh, two totally different uh, schemes and say, oh no, but they're basically the same thing. That's what mm-hmm. I'm talking about. That's why people tune in to Total Access uh, <laughs> Podcast. Folks, we've got more with John Lynch that we'll share with you in the next episode. Buck, what's going on, big dog? <laughs> man, John Lesson, his storytelling, man. I love it. So much more for him to share. Yes, sir. But for now, that would do it for this episode of Total Access, The Locker Room. For more insight with The Locker Room Point of View, check out the latest episodes every Wednesday and Friday on Apple and Spotify. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.